What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, up every morning just to keep a job, i got to fight my way through the hustling mob. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. I'm Joe McCormick, and, and my theory is that uh, out-of-context lyrics are actually less satisfying when you complete the rhyming couplet. Oh, no. Yeah? You think yeah. so? Well, It's more interesting well, to Joe, just do the first half. I want to see some empirical research on that. Yeah, okay. um... You know, uh, my hypothesis is that uh, the person who introduces the podcast gets to choose whatever the heck he wants to introduce it. Okay, well, what are we going to talk about today? (laughs) We're going to talk about offices, Joe. Offices? Like where you go to work? Where we go to work. Well, not specifically our office, although I'm sure that's going to come up in the conversation. Several times, hopefully, as the least amount of snarkly as possible. We are are about to... Yeah, uh, full disclosure. Yeah, full disclosure. We're about to, to endure. Uh, no, we're about to have a <laughs> transition, a transition experience yeah. in our mm-hmm. office. Uh, the House Stuff Works office, which is where 
we work mm-hmm. is relocating to a different floor on the in the building that we work in and we're going to end up in a smaller office space uh, with a new floor plan and it is um, one of those things that we'll be talking about I actually have some information about the type of floor plan that we will be in not specifics I'm not going to give you guys like the square footage or whatever basically but, this is just to say that we're we're having feelings and yeah so if, yes. if there's sighing throughout this intellectual discussion about office environments you'll know why yeah exactly because we yeah. have we have feelings in we our have hearts. an intrinsic bias and thus feels yes well, okay yeah. well and it's not just us by the way this is something that's borne <laughs> out through actual research i have oh, okay. information about it i thought you were going to say like also robert lamb is really upset well, robert lamb <laughs> is very upset robert lamb uh, actually is one of the hosts of stuff to blow your mind stuff to blow yes. your mind and they did an episode called cubicle doom a podcast episode called cubicle doom which is very good. You guys uh, who are listeners of Forward Thinking who have not listened to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, you should check that out. Cubicle Doom in particular goes into some research about how, you know, we talked about how Mars is trying to kill you. Yeah. And they're talking about how your office is trying to kill you. So it's everything from psychological effects to actual medical effects of offices. Really? Well, let's talk about some of those effects. Okay. What happens to you when you work at an office five days a week for 30 years? Uh you have, well, it all depends. It, a lot of that depends upon the office. But Lauren, I think you've got some information about this, right? All right. Okay. So, so first of all, research suggests that indeed stress at work is associated with all kinds of things that are negative to not only your own health, but in turn your your productivity and sure. ability to do your job. Mm-hmm. Um, and furthermore, that physical characteristics of your workspace—you know, the noise, the lighting, the ventilation—are all linked to job stress. So, compounded upon that, the way that we work in offices mostly these days is sitting down at a desk. Looking Looking at a computer screen, yeah. I mean, that's how we do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I I would imagine that in these our modern times, that is, I do not have a statistic about that specifically. I believe that one of you two fine fellows has oh, a little bit of information about that. Here's the deal: going looking at re, uh, research about people in office spaces is difficult. You can see find a lot about trends, but when you get to look, when you're looking for hard numbers of how many people are actually working in offices, that's where it really gets kind of. Messy because a lot of the surveys are small sample size and then you extrapolate out. And as it turns out, there are very different trends across different parts of the world and even across different nations. So, for example, in the United States, teleworking, which we will talk about later on in this episode, uh, is something that you find that's very prevalent in places like the southeast, the southwest and the west, but not so much in other parts of the country. So it's really difficult to actually say how many people are working in offices. However, it's a lot, and I actually do have some information about the types of offices people are working in today compared to previous generations. Let's hear it. Oh, well, okay. So, like, you know, we at House of Works right now, we have cubicles, right? Sure. And they're a little different from the cubicles you might see in something like Office Space. They or uh, one of my favorite movies – Joe versus the volcano, uh, <laughs> where it's a soul crushing experience. It's like everything is done in this blue filter on the screen. So it looks like the artificial lighting is just draining the life out of everyone. It looks like the, the, the building that Joe works in in Joe versus the volcano was scientifically designed to crush a human spirit. Well, that's not the kind of cubicles we have here at How Stuff Works. It tends to be this sort of kind of weird angular cubicle where you've got your own little sense of space, but it's it's but it's open to the to to, to the 
to the yeah, environment so that people walking by or, you know, you can make eye contact with someone if you want to. Right. Yeah. It's it's not so much sequestered that you are in a cell, right? You're not in a little blocked off cell. It's open a little bit, but it also gives you some privacy. So it has sort of the best of both worlds approach. The the ceiling is open. I've, I've heard that that's an important uh, factor in that, that, uh, that, that if you, you don't have a full wall to the ceiling, that that adds to your sense of space and uh, and. Yeah, you're not, you don't feel Movement. like you're, you don't feel like you're hemmed in. Right. right? That, that you're being, you're being contained. Uh, well. <laughs> what, cause you could like potentially climb over the cubicle wall if you needed to. Well, it just doesn't. Psychologically. Hey, did you see this video? <laughs> psychologically, it doesn't feel like you are, uh, contained, you know? For example, yeah. the same idea that you paint a wall a different shade, uh, two thirds yeah. of the way up to, to ex- accentuate height. Or, or use of mirrors to expand a space artificially. Right. Well, that's not the way a lot of offices are moving these days. And <laughs> that's not the way our office is moving pretty soon. Uh, more, more and more offices these days are moving to what's just called an open plan. So it's not open floor plan. It's not just cubicles necessarily. It may be workstations where you don't have all these divide, dividers that, that sequester people or give them this sense of privacy. In fact, 70% of United, U.S. workers in offices today are working in open floor plans. Wow. 70%. That's huge. Yeah. So that's that's become sort of the approach, which is kind of funny. If you look back on the history, like the development of the office space, if you look back in the early days, it was essentially kind of the same sort of thing. Like if you ever think of any newsroom type films about newsrooms where you just see lots of desks in a big open space. The bullpen, yeah. Yeah, the bullpen. That that was a very typical kind of approach. And then we moved into this sort of cubicle approach. And then we're now moving back into an open floor space. And the idea behind it is to uh, to foster collaboration, right? right? But if you work in a field where you're not necessarily collaborating all the time, for example – what we do, we collaborate right now, but we do a lot of our research on our own. We'll we'll meet occasionally to kind of compare notes, but then we go back in our own little world. We're not constantly collaborating. Uh, for people who do that sort of work or even more individualized work, this can actually be really distracting. And in fact, uh, there have been some studies that suggest that this kind of open floor approach increases things like dissatisfaction. And aggression in the workplace. <laughs> aggression? You yes. guys have so much to look forward to. I know. We can't wait to find out if this is going to be the case. No, but we also all love each other. Yes. <laughs> so. uh, also, it says that uh, according to surveys, uh, people whose work is interrupted make 50% more mistakes and take twice as long to finish tasks as people who can actually concentrate on their work. So again, if, if you need that sense of privacy to concentrate, then you're going to find that your, your, work style is going to be impacted quite a bit through this move to an open floor plan. But there must be some perceived advantages to an open floor plan as well oh, there's, if there's a trend. Not just a perceived advantage. There is an advantage. Yeah. It's cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> open floor plans take up less space. Office space is expensive. It's not just expensive to have the real estate. It's expensive to maintain it. It's expensive to provide power. It's expensive to provide all the ventilation that you need. So, you know, your, your rental space, all of these things factor into the bottom line. If you can cut that, if you can reduce the space you need, then you end up saving lots of money. So one way to do that is to move to this open floor plan where you eliminate things like offices. You can use that space just as one unit. So uh, that is a demonstrable improvement 
from the corporate side. <laughs> I, I bet there are also plenty of workers, though, who enjoy this. Uh, well, you know, I, I, you know, this is certainly not scientific, but within our own offices, our um, our audio and vid- video department is within an open floor office kind of space, and and they. Granted, many of them, I think, were friends before they came to the office, so they all have a good interpersonal relationship to start with, but they seem to not hate it. Well, in 90% of the research that was done on this, like 90% of the research that's been published. ninety. So you're talking about like a meta study? Yes. Okay. 90% of the research of uh, the outcome of working in an open environment was negative with increases in anxiety, aggression, and employee turnover. So nine times out of ten, in other words, we're talking about a negative outcome. Okay, so we're saying that my plan of going and getting those those grade school science report folders and or and as Robert Lamb said, uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, Ooh, game, master game master <laughs> portfolios. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and setting those up is actually a very good idea. It's uh, it is not a bad idea because it turns <laughs> out. All right, so there's this great article. It's fantastic. I recommend people check this out. Uh, it's a New York Times article called "The Rise of the New Groupthink," and it's by Susan Cain. Uh, there's uh, there's a great section in this. I'll, I'll just go ahead and quote it. Research strongly suggests that people are more creative when they enjoy privacy and freedom from interruption. And the most spectacularly creative people in many fields are often introverted. So that's a generalization there, but they are often introverted and, uh, they are, uh, they're extroverted enough to exchange and advance ideas, but see themselves as independent and individualistic. They are not joiners by nature. So in other words, they do their best work when they can kind of focus and 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 be on their own. They they can collaborate and they can move things forward. But when they're doing those big leaps, that's when they're on their own. Uh, obviously, not everyone's like this, but there are lots of some somewhat anecdotal reports that, and some are actual studies where they found that people in various fields who were, were moving into these open floor plans, like game developers, for example, were finding it much more difficult to work in open floor environments than they were when they had their own spaces. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because according to at least the, the studies that I've seen, the demonstrative effect is that productivity goes down, efficiency goes down, employee satisfaction goes down, but your costs also go down. So you have to weigh the two against each other. And it may be that perhaps the open floor plan approach is still young enough that a lot of companies haven't started to really factor in what the impact is to their business. And maybe it's one of those things that it's really just a social change. It could be that we eventually adapt to this open floor plan and uh, gradually don't hate it with all our heart and souls. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you've seen um, all of the comic strips and, and little jokey essays and everything from the 80s and 90s about how much everybody hates cubicles and it's like you're a mouse. The Dilbert and, thing and yeah, right, sure. all, all that stuff. Uh, you know, rat in a maze. Uh, I don't know. I like my cubicle. But at some point, apparently, people found this just awful. Well, you know, a lot of those cubicles also were very much designed to – it was all looking – like everything was the same, right? It was all 
you know, this this idea of almost like an institutionalized approach where all individuality was stripped away and you were just another cog in the massive machine that was your company. Right. Um, I, I, I do have to say that, that what I enjoy most about my cubicle is having wall space to put up really ridiculous posters. So. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. we're going to have to say goodbye to that. Uh, Not if I bring in well. those giant poster boards. Um so that's the psychological side of that. I, I had a little bit of research about the physical side sure. of what happens to oh, us okay. when we sit around in offices all day. And um, I mean, because it, we've all heard the big headlines lately, sitting is killing you. Um, and that's 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 a wee bit debatable. There is a study from 2009 that found that people who sat most of the day were 54 percent more likely to have a heart attack than people who sat very little, independent of how much they weighed or how often they exercised otherwise, mm. which seems disturbing. Um, I mean, but a that is studying heart effects only. So, you know, there there are a lot of other uh, comorbidities involved in uh, in in exercise and weight mm-hmm. that I have not seen research on. And I hope that someone is working on that right now. But uh, there are definitely other factors. You know, it's basically when you're not using your muscles, they get less good at being muscly. Gotcha. Um, you, the, that is the highly scientific breakdown of that thing. And and so, you know, it, it's there's there's connective tissue that covers your muscles called fascia. And it's flexible mm-hmm. but can set in the position that you stay in the most, which causes muscle stiffness, poor balance, uh, lack of stability and mobility. Um, you know, sitting will weaken your your glutes, your butt which is a major muscle group. And the more that you exercise, the more that you develop any given muscle group, the more energy it will burn in general. So if you're letting this major muscle group go to waste, then in general, you will you will burn fewer calories, which is bad times. Yeah. Um, you know, skeletally speaking, sitting puts the absolute most pressure on your spine. It's terrible for, for your back and for your neck. And over time, all of these problems just compound each other. You know, weakening muscles and tendons makes all of these problems harder for you to correct. Yeah, this very thing actually makes me wonder if, uh, so on one hand, you've got a trend towards open floor plans, but on the other hand, I wonder if there might be a trend away from the standard sitting desk toward um, maybe standing desks or even, I. this is such a, there's such a thing as this, the, the treadmill, treadmill desk. desk. And I'm not entirely, it doesn't seem crazy to me. Like I, I can a- kind of, See it. I actually have a friend who has a treadmill desk. Who yeah. worked oh, yeah. at a treadmill desk, and she loved it. She she liked the idea that it allowed her to uh, to walk at a very very slow pace. You know, we're talking like right. a mile per hour. It's really you know a very gradual thing, and it was really just meant to keep the muscles moving. It wasn't meant as you know some sort actual of physical. Yeah, right. not, not like an aerobic exercise. Sure. Oh You're no, filling out that Excel sheet while jogging <laughs> at twelve miles per hour. Yeah, obviously that would be kind of silly, but. Um, but I can see that. I, I can. I think I'd probably really prefer if I had such equipment to we, do that. We also had a coworker, a former coworker of ours, who would regularly work standing up. He would spend about probably about two thirds of his day standing, huh. and only about a third. You know, uh, John Fuller, who used oh. to, yeah. he used to stand up and work uh, at his desk, and he even had a little, uh, a little platform, platform, thing. yeah, uh-huh. for him to put his laptop on, yeah. so that it would be tall enough where he wouldn't have to, you know, hunch over and type because obviously that wouldn't necessarily help your help, posture. Right. Um, I do wonder if open floor plans might help aid, uh, you know, getting up, standing up, getting your muscles moving, walking around the office getting more often. Getting the heck out of the way from the person who's all yappity yappity. That one. Um, yeah, okay, because so, <laughs> out of the three of us, uh, I don't know, I don't know how you both tested if you've taken like Myers-Briggs test oh, or yeah. whatever. I test out, here's a shock, 
alarmingly uh, extroverted. That's so, crazy, Jonathan. So, so I, I am one of those people who I really do get energized and jazzed by having quick conversations with people. And then I, I can quickly, I can go right back into focusing. But that means that if everyone else is introverted, I'm actually uh, hurting them, I, I, at least as far as their ability to do work. They, I'm distracting them. I, I interrupt their their thought processes. They get their energy by really sitting down and focusing and, and being apart from everything. So it's it's difficult because I don't want to impact their work experience. I don't want to be irresponsible in that way. But at the same time, if I don't say anything and I just sit there by myself, my own work productivity starts to decline because I haven't had the chance to actually energize myself by chatting with someone. So occasionally I'll go and have a quick chat, trying my best to keep it as as short as possible, which is difficult with me, <laughs> uh, as the length of these podcasts can attest. But, uh, you know, in these open floor plans, that becomes even more difficult because I can't just kind of have a quick conversation with another extrovert. With a single person right. and then walk away. Though this also makes me wonder if, um, you know, the sort of like uh, really cutting edge office of the future might have floor plans grouped by personality type. Or, Ooh. you know, I think. Well, does that make sense? It's, it's, like, it makes yeah. sense. You can take your you take your test when you come into the office, to and maybe determine... have a group of extroverts in a small open floor area, and then maybe have people like me who just want to live in a hobbit hole, uh, yeah. you know, kind of cornered off. Well, it's also a question of, I mean, the the collaboration aspect is something that a lot of companies are still saying this is the main reason they want to move to this open floor plan. They want mm-hmm. to have a collaborative environment for their employees, and in some. Uh, applications that makes perfect sense. You might have a, a team of six or eight people who are working on a specific project. And so having them close together makes it much easier for them to touch base and really uh, understand what's going on and move forward. So that I, and, and in some of these places, we're talking about floor plans where you don't even have an assigned desk all the time, because if you work in a place where you're going to be on multiple teams throughout your career, then it makes sense for you to be able to move to different locations. And so the group of people you work with one month might be different from the next month. Uh, that moves us into an area where we're talking about places where you, you you type in on a computer when you get to work and it assigns you a desk for the day, which makes it even less personal for you because you can't set up your space. You can't define your space because right. you're sharing. You can't bring people. all your wacky action figures and, yeah. and unless yeah. you carry them desk to desk with right. you on a. Yeah. But as we've established, that might be ideal for some types of workers and especially some types of work. Well, and it also, again, is ideal for companies that maybe they have a teleworking policy where mm-hmm. they have a. Uh, only a certain percentage of employees are in the office on any given day, they can reduce down to a minimum or maybe just over minimum number of desks they need on a per day basis. And that way, even though they might have 200 employees, if only 50 of them are showing up on any given day, they only have 50 desks. So they don't have to have the space for all 200 in their office because of that teleworking uh, uh, schedule. Okay. Oh, sorry. Well, I have one other thing to say about health, which is that Offices are germ bombs, y'all. I'm yes. talking. Are they? They are. Uh, sinks, the handles on sinks. Like if you have a kitchen in your office, that that sinks a death trap, just waiting to kill you. Well, not um, all of us spend like an hour a day licking the sink like you do. 
uh, no one spends an hour a day licking the sink like I do. I got my own <laughs> sweet style. All right. But also things like the microwave handle is pretty grody. Uh, you know, there's, there are parts of the, of your typical office the that air. are, covered. and that's another thing is that let's say that you have one sick person coming into an open floor planned office. Then you've suddenly got this one sick person who's, who's coughing, sneezing, breathing in the same general area as everybody else. It's just like any other enclosed space. It means that the disease has has an att- uh, uh, the chance, the opportunity to spread to other people, and thus you can have something that would have been perhaps more controllable in a different environment become kind of a rampant disease within the enclosed space of an open floor plan. Okay, so is the coming future solution to this problem that everybody's going to wear those surgical masks to work? Well, that only works if you are sick and you're trying to prevent other people from getting sick. It keeps germs in your face, but it doesn't it doesn't well, really block. filter germ- germs yeah, out just whole- due to the fact that you're you're touching things you might I mean in any orifice on your body including your skin which isn't an orifice okay, but you know, but it does have pores. pores. Um you know, your eyes, your ears, unless you are covered in like steampunk styled gear. Well, the whole it's- reason the whole reason doctors wear them is mm-hmm. because they don't want to pass on any infection to the patient. Right. It's not for them yeah. to prevent illness getting to them. It's to prevent them from infecting a patient. That's a good so point. So it's it's not like wearing a mask may make you feel like you're being safe, but really what you're doing is you're saving other people, and I hate other people, so I just go and breathe on them all the time. <laughs> Okay. Uh, well, all right. One, one more, one more note on health, and then we can totally move on. I did want to mention that although there is all of this doom and gloom about office spaces in general and open offices in particular, um, I did want to mention that we still, in fact, have it better than people who are doing manual labor. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, it's you know, although because I've seen it mentioned in kind of a lay person sort of way that like, oh man, it would be so much better if we were all doing manual labor because that would mean that we'd be getting in that exercise. You'd be physically yeah. fit. Exercise. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, the studies have shown that people who do manual labor during their jobs do get exercise, but their health deteriorates more rapidly over the span of a lifetime than non-manual workers. Um, there, there was a big study done by the National Bureau of Economic Research in 2003 using data from the National Health Interview Survey. And, uh, they, they basically, I mean, you know, they, they are economists at heart. And so what they were really concentrating on was the fact that, that this might be, um, due to economic indicators of manual work, including poorer health at the onset of life, less education about health and less access to appropriate health care. But, but that nonetheless, you know, I, just wanted to put in there that it's pretty cushy getting to go to an air conditioned environment. I, I, yeah. Uh, yeah. I would imagine just things like, especially if you have a job where you're, you know, you, yeah, you've got manual labor, but if you have a very specific sort of uh, series of motions that you tend to do, mm-hmm. I can imagine repetitive stress injuries would be a big problem. I mean, yeah, there it's, it's no, it's not rosy. I mean, the, the one last statistic I have for, since we were talking about office spaces and our uh, move to the open floor plan and the reduction of office size, this, this kind of illustrates it. So in the 1970s, the average office had about 500 square feet per every employee that worked in that office. All right. So 500, you can think of like, I have a, lived in places smaller than 500 square feet. So, That's yeah, amazing. But in, in, in 2010, in it the was, 70s, didn't computers each take up 500 <laughs> square feet? Yeah. Well, okay. in 2010, it was 225 square feet. 
In 2012, it was 176. So in other words, the amount of space per employee is decreasing in the United States year over year. Uh, so that just is another indication that the office of the future may not have people in it. Okay. <laughs> well, and that may just in one way reflect an overall growing t- trend towards density in urban environments where lots of these offices are located. But – Okay, so if we say maybe there's a trend towards uh, more sort of population density within the office, and there may be a trend, we hope, to help solve uh, the, the sitting crisis in one way or another, so maybe standing or treadmill desks or maybe just getting up and moving around more. Mm-hmm. What about these crazy offices? What about, like, I, I've seen pictures, can't remember where, of offices that have tube slides for adults and petting zoos in them and stuff like that. Sure. Are we going that way as a society or or nicks on that? I think it all depends upon the the nature of the business. Certainly startups tend to go into this kind of really funky, bizarre, uh, I mean, at least bizarre from the standpoint of this is not what you would consider a normal office environment. The to be. average 1950s yeah. kind of, <laughs> right. kind of button down um, office. Yeah. I mean, I, I worked in a place where we could bring our dogs into the office if, if we wanted to. That sounds amazing. It was actually really cool. Yeah. There's a, a Microsoft was I mean, one I love of those, dogs, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Microsoft was one of those companies that also, uh, kind of, kind of pioneered this in the sense that at Microsoft, when they were first ramping up and starting to hire people right out of college in California and uh, and Washington and and the essentially the west coast was really where they were farming their their uh, talent they would put in things like arcade machines and and pinball machines in the office uh because it gave the the people working there an opportunity to blow off some steam and have fun they also realized that the more amenities like that that they included the more time their employees were spending in the office willingly. They were happy to stay in the office as opposed to going home to, I don't know, family. So, <laughs> uh, so that kind of started a trend. And so we see that today with other companies like Google is famous. The Googleplex is infamous really for some of its, uh, amenities, including things like a, um, you know, for a while, if you worked at Google, you did not have to pay to eat, really, because you could come there and have a fully, you know, cooked Free lunch and dinner. Yes, food, it was right. part of your compensation was the fact that you had access to this food, um, and it was you know from a chef who actually was a known name, <laughs> and and so it wasn't like you know just just cafeteria food. This was like really high end stuff, and then on top of that, you had things like you know giant bins of snack foods and candies everywhere. And this I can attest to because I've seen them. Uh, I've been through one of Google's uh, offices, although it was a sales office; it wasn't their main uh, campus in Mountain View. Anyway, uh, they also have things like bicycles where you could ride across campus and inside the buildings themselves because they were so gargantuan. Uh, not to mention they had like a, a infinite. Uh, swimming lane. So it's a swimming lane that has a current so that you just, you can, you keep swimming, but you stay in the same position that you are in and within the lane. So you could get your swimming exercise in. While you're doing spreadsheets. It was, it was one, <laughs> you couldn't necessarily work that way, but it was one Waterproof lane. Waterproof tablet strapped to your arm. Uh-huh. It was one, one lane of, of swimming pool. With a lifeguard tower next to it, which I thought was because <laughs> by law they had to have, they have it. To, right. But um, it was it was hilarious. But yes, yeah, so, you know, that's just one example. There are actually tons of offices that have really amazing amenities. I mean, even Discovery, like Discovery Communications. When we went there, we saw they had like a yoga room, yeah, and an exercise room, and they had like all these things that you know, House of Works 
we've got uh, we got a we got a fridge. We do get free soda. We do, yeah. Which, by the way, the people at Discovery uh, Communications are really jealous of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like, like they have like a T Rex in their lobby. Not a real T Rex. I mean, it's a skeleton. It might not be a T Rex. No, it, it is a T Rex. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. It is is you know reproduced bones, but nonetheless, they're like, but you guys have soda. Yeah, they also have a crazy kinetic sculpture in their lobby that I don't know how the people who work near there get any work done because it's. It's quite loud, but um, yeah, it was it was pretty funky. But if you want to see some really cool office designs, I don't know that they're effective as far as getting uh, employees to be efficient and productive. But if you want to see some crazy awesome designs, uh, there is a great uh, uh, site you should go to: officedesigngallery.com. I've been looking at these, and some of them I, sh- I shared a couple of pictures earlier with uh, Joe and Lauren, and I'll I'll see we'll probably link to this in our blog posts and stuff. But the pictures here are pretty phenomenal. There's some places you look at and you think, I I wish I worked in this office just because it's such an interesting uh, approach. But there are other ones that I look at and I think I don't know that I could get any work done in this particular environment. I mean, it looks really cool. I would love to tour it. I just don't know that I would be able to work there day to day. What was the one that was just like a glass tube in the middle of the woods? Oh, with like uh, bears roaming outside. Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to open that up again. It was an, it was a company name that I didn't recognize, but it was a it was actually not a tube, but it was a it was a building that had been set so that into the ground into the ground so that uh, that the windows looked out. Like it like looked up like yeah, out, like up in and a out. Dome. It was a dome, mm-hmm. half dome, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you could look out onto the trees. Uh, there was actually a, another wall there. Like the windows ended at a wall, so it wasn't like it went all the way from ceiling to floor. Right. But uh, yeah, it was in this very uh, woodsy setting, so it looked like you were uh, working as a hobbit, uh, a corporate hobbit. So do you get the feeling that these kind of like wonderful, whimsical, Willy Wonka kinds hmm. of workplaces are? On the up or on the down, or are they sort of just a, a niche that's always going to be there for those small kind of really weird creative startup? I think places? I think it's a niche in the sense that what these offices do, I think they're great for attracting new talent because the the person fresh out of school takes a look and sees this incredible Willy Wonka esque land. Where they think, wow, you know, golden tickets every day. I can't wait, <laughs> and and that becomes a, a selling point. That becomes something that attracts them to go and work at this place. Because I mean, that that's a big commodity. Are the the fresh people right out of college who who are, have the ideas and the drive? And, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, they and and not only that, but they're cheaper to hire. <laughs> so there are a lot of lot of different reasons. But these these sort of things make those companies very much attractive. Now, once you get there, whether or not it actually helps you do what you were hired to do, that's a totally different question. So it may come a time where these companies start looking at this design and say, you know, we're getting the people we want, but we're not getting the results we want. So maybe we need to rethink this. I don't know that that's a fact. I mean, there's some companies that are doing quite well. Google is doing really, really well. There are other companies like Yahoo that, while it has a super funky office space, was going through some real problems. Speaking of Yahoo, um, I've got a question. Okay. What do you all think is the future outlook for teleworking? Well, what is is that? By teleworking, I mean um, working remotely via the internet. Basically, anybody who does their entire job. Mm -hmm. Like coffee shop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you use a computer to do all of your work, this is probably an option for you. Uh, I would say 
good to amazing would be the <laughs> outlook for teleworking. The reason why I say that is the U.S. Census Bureau did a, a study about teleworking, working from home. They also talked about uh, mixed workers. Mixed working would be when it's we're mixed workers. <clears throat> we get to come into the office some days. We get to work from home some days. So it's a mix for us. There are some people who just work from home, and then there are some people who can only work in the office, and then there's the rest of us. Well, according to the census, this trend is growing. Uh, they, they Employees of private companies saw a 67% increase in people working from home between 2000 to 2010. Now, uh, there, this is not true across all industries. There are some industries that had a decrease in the number of people who worked from home. Uh, specifically, people who worked in agriculture, forestry, fishing, hunting, and mining saw a decrease. The fact that there were people working from home in the first place is something of a surprise. Well, uh-huh. in, in, in any, in any manufacturing or labor industry, there's always going to be, uh, office financial workers, yeah, for example, administrative, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, they saw, somebody's got to make spreadsheets. They saw mm-hmm. a 24.1% decrease from 2000 to 2010, but most industries saw their percentages increase. Uh, some went from, uh, some had an incredible amount of growth. For example, state government employees saw a 132.5% increase from 2000 to 2010. However, when you look at the actual numbers, you realize that while the growth was enormous, we're still talking about a very small number of jobs because it was only from 1% of all state government jobs going to 2.4% of all state government jobs. So the growth was huge. But the actual numbers were very small. It's it's only because the, the numbers were so low to begin with. Right, that, exactly. Right. Uh-huh. So uh, that's just one of the trends. But there's there's a lot of other statistics I could cite. For example, again, according to the census, 10% of all American workers spend at least one day working remotely, which is up from 7% back in 1997. Uh, this census was conducted in 2010. So people who work from home exclusively made up 6.6% of all workers. Those working from home and, quote, other locations, end quote, made up 2.8% of the total. And of the people who work from home, about 10% of them were over the age of 65, and about a quarter of them uh, worked in management business and financial occupations. About half of all people who work from home report as being self-employed. So this is, you know, that's not a huge surprise if you're self-employed. You could have a, an office space that you could go to. And in Certainly. fact, some, lots of people do. But uh, working out of your home means that you can uh, often end up uh, incurring fewer costs on the business end. Okay. Well, so to bring it back to Yahoo, uh, if this teleworking trend is is so much on the upswing. Why did I hear that um, that there was this big deal where Yahoo said everybody you should come back to the office? Well, Marissa Meyer took over Yahoo. Uh, she was a former Google employee, one of the first uh, women to work for Google. In fact, I think the first female engineer at Google. And uh, then she came over to become the CEO of Yahoo. And in fact, that was one of those things that a lot of industry analysts viewed as a, an incredibly positive mood, move because Yahoo had been sort of struggling for several years. In fact, they went through five CEOs in four years. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's not not sign of a healthy company in general. So the official line from Yahoo is that the change in policy was meant to increase collaboration, uh, saying that a lot of great ideas come when people are interacting within an office environment. 
and not and that that's just not as easy to do when you are working remotely which is surely to some extent true yeah but there were also other issues with yahoo about whether or not employees were working very efficiently uh whether they were uh doing their best if you look at revenue generation on a per employee basis uh yahoo was making about a third of what google was per employee so in other words if you looked at google and you counted every employee Every employee accounted for something like $900,000 in revenue. For every person who works at Google, that's $900,000 in revenue. At Yahoo, it was more like 300000 So that's, you know, that's also saying that things are not as efficient as they need to be in order for us to compete at a level that goes, uh, that's, that's comparable to our, 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 our rivals. Mm-hmm. You know, our, you know, so. Those are sort of the reasons that have been cited. Um, so do you think that that kind of decision signals that there could be uh, some counterbalancing to this trend towards teleworking? I think I don't think that it's necessarily counterbalancing. I think this is a, a one example where a CEO comes into a troubled company and tries to really get a handle on exactly what are the contributors to the company's I guess lack of success, you could say, or at least, uh, uh, problems with direction. And maybe it's even just to assess who is a good contributor to the company and who isn't. It may be in, uh, preparation for things like reorganization or mm-hmm. a, uh, putting people on different teams. And I would imagine that the teleworking policy will eventually make its way back to Yahoo. The benefits of teleworking are numerous. One thing, it does seem to have a very positive uh, effect on employee morale. Uh, when And it also seems to help with employee productivity because people who work from home tend to be able to work at the times when they are the most productive and they take breaks during the times when they're the least productive. They're not uh, – they're, they're putting in the same amount of time as workers who are going into the office for a nine-to-five type of job. So it's not like they're shirking from that – in that respect. It means that you have lower overhead for your company. Because you right, don't have to I maintain that office space. Right, I imagine it's a lot cheaper space. for not having to. I mean, you know, way cheaper than an open office. Oh, sure. Yeah, <laughs> even even an open office would be more expensive than having no centralized office at all, or a very small centralized office where only a few uh, necessary employees would go in. Or meeting rooms, yeah, for those few collaboration sessions. It takes. It means that there's a, a lower impact on local traffic because people don't have to drive into work, which in turn means that you have a greater sense of satisfaction. You have a better work life balance. That's what we get to talk about all the time over in uh, meetings, but uh, it also means that you are helping the environment. You know, again, energy consumption for an office building is way higher than it is for a typical house. So even if you're working out of your home and you've got your own home office and you've got lots of equipment, you're not going to be generating the same amount of energy as you would need to for an office building. So uh, accumulatively, it decreases our energy consumption. Also, because we're not driving as much, it decreases our fuel consumption. So these are things that end up having kind of a domino effect that are positive effects. Um, and on top of it, you uh, you create flexibility among your employees uh, and you remove that, that uh, illness spreading mechanism. You know, they don't have that if you're not in constant contact with tons of other people, you are also not in danger of spreading an illness or catching an illness or uh, right. You if know. you really have an option to work from home 
while you're a little bit under the weather and perhaps contagious but feeling well enough to do your work, then... Or if you can work from home while Sally is uh, uh, undergoing the Mongolian death flu, <laughs> then you don't have to worry about contracting it yourself. Oh, sure. yeah. I think working from home is probably a big advantage for parents, especially parents with younger children. Sure. Yeah. But at any rate, I mean, teleworking on its on its face, I think, will continue to... Uh, to grow year over year. I think that we're going to see it grow in almost every industry. Uh, sorry for those of you who work in agriculture and forestry and mining. Uh, you probably aren't going to be teleworking. Although you might soon. be replaced by robots. Yeah, so, so you know, <laughs> maybe it's time to explore Silver lining. the opportunities. Um, although speaking of robots and, and also speaking of teleworking, so so as the number of teleworkers in our in our workforce grows, telepresence, I think, is going to become... More major than it already is. I mean, I'm sure that that a lot of you have have sat in on some kind of vaguely weird webcam meeting in which no one is entirely sure how to interact with each other. Um, yeah, where there's lots of awkward pauses while you're waiting for someone else to pick up the conversation. Or, or uh, like this podcast. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for demonstrating that, guys. That's great. Yeah, telepresence. Uh, so, in some ways, advanced telepresence is still kind of a baby, but it's sort of the solution to this teleworking problem we were talking about and mm. especially what's suggested by like at least the official line on on the Yahoo decision right right um, it's the which idea- is that collaboration is important yeah, yeah. Um, is that what you were totally about to say yeah but I'll that's let you great t- <laughs> no uh, yeah so that obviously teleworking has all these advantages it's cheaper it's better for the environment it's better for employee morale and all that um, but it it also creates the problem that, you know, if you've ever called into a How Stuff Works meeting on the telephone. First of all, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, that's for us. I, Why would you be doing that? No, I don't, I don't well, know okay, that any we, of our coworkers listen to us. <laughs> when we do that, it's uh, it can be hard to hear what's going on. Yes. It uh, can be kind of confusing because you don't know who's speaking. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um it can be there can be, you know, yeah, crackles and you miss things and you miss a lot just by missing gestures and body language. In fact, I think there are some people who say that uh, you know, more than 90 percent of communication really is physical. Well, and, and on top of that, um, if uh, if the speakerphone happens to be closer to certain people within the office, you're going to hear lots of snarky comments, but not what they're commenting on. Yeah. Um, and so th- but obviously this is uh, not a problem unique to us. It's a problem <laughs> with how telephones work. Sure. And so when we're talking one on one, there's an interesting thing to notice, though, when you just use one telephone with a good connection to call your friend, I think most of the time, most people can experience a kind of seamless simulation of a real conversation. In other words, like, you don't have this feeling of, I'm sitting here using a device, but you actually have a feeling of, I'm talking to my friend. Right. You still end up missing certain things, but you can pick up stuff like from tone, but not necessarily, you know, a physical response. Right. But uh, I think that you that you get a better experience the when if you're, say, using a, a video Skype line or something to talk with someone. Yeah. And just like the phone, what I was going to say about the phone is I think a lot of this depends on the quality of the just the signal and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the more you're losing calls and hearing crackles and stuff like that, the losing more words. Right. Yeah. The more you're 
your simulation of the interaction degrades and you get the uh, ex- feeling that you're using a device. Same thing is true with, say, video conferencing. Mm-hmm. Now, video conferencing is a thing that uh, it's actually been around for decades, but it's just basically been getting better and better over time um, as we can use higher quality video, higher quality audio and just better hardware integration. Also, uh, instant, I mean, instant feedback. You know, these days we can have a a simultaneous instant connection with someone else with a webcam, whereas in the 80s, where I think video conferencing enjoyed a very short-lived and uh, and pretty weak sauce (laughs) reception within the business environment. Um, It it was kind of, uh, it was kind of fashionable, you know, Um, but it, it wasn't there yet. We're... We're getting closer and closer all the time. I and mean, stuff like Skype today is pretty commonplace in, in lots of offices. Yeah. I, no, I was just going to say, ironically, Skype's office, open floor plan. <laughs> <laughs> they don't Skype in. That's funny. Yeah. Okay. Um, but so, obviously, adding a visual element, and like I was talking about with the phones, adding a more and more seamless visual element that um, takes away the aspects of looking at a screen that remind you you're using a device and instead um, offers this more unnoticeable simulation of face-to-face interaction, Mm -hmm. that really can add to a lot of uh, business, you know, uh, interactions. Sure, sure. So if you're doing a negotiation on some kind of sales deal, people are real particular about how they carry themselves in these situations. Mm -hmm. Like body language can make a lot of difference. If you're able to gesture and make eye contact, you can probably get a better price. Right. That's just, people are human. Well, you're making a connection that way. Yeah. Right. And so the better your uh, video interaction hardware gets, probably the better a job you can do uh, simulating the experience of actually being there. So now what they're talking about these days is, not just like a, a screen, like a computer screen, and you're looking into it, but these, uh, well, say well, one idea would be um, goggles, like interactive goggles, so that mm-hmm. when you turn your head, what's the video game controller that's like that? Oh, the Oculus Rift. The Oculus Rift, it's yeah. It's got the head tracking software. Head tracking software would be exactly what you're talking about. So imagine you're in a room that's, uh, you know, it's a meeting taking place somewhere where you can't be, or at least it would be cheaper for you not to be. But you can simulate being in the room by wearing some kind of uh, hardware that allows you to turn your head throughout the room and track eye movements. Uh, so you can look where you want to look, interact with who you want to interact with. You can, you know, make little eyes at somebody across the table if you want to. <laughs> can make robo eyes at robo Josh eyes, Clark. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, the other idea would be a more immersive room environment. So you could go into a room with, say, like a wraparound visual display. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so these are some ideas, but the problem with all of these is they're stationary. They, so are you going to robots? I'm going to robots. All right. People well, well, are into these telepresence so you're about, like, robots. A Segway with an iPad attached to it. Oh, baby. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. Oh, man. Okay. No, actually, it's not a Segway. Uh, so I want to talk about a few robots. Um, that are actually kind of in vogue these days. Um, yeah, these are things that exist that are in use. Yeah, they're they're picking up steam. One uh, that's a kind of really basic model, but pretty clever, I think. It's it's uh, from Double Robotics, and it's called the Double. It's uh, it offers an iPad based platform. Uh, and essentially, it's a motorized scooter with a big stick on it. And you put an iPad on top it's a of it. It's with an iPad on it. <laughs> I would call it the Roboss. Yeah. 
And so it uh, it rolls around within the office. Now it, it it's very cheap and stripped down um, because it leaves all of the video part up to you. It's the software you have on your iPad that, right. that does the video. So it's connected there, but, through the Wi-Fi of whatever the space is. And, right. So you're essentially using FaceTime. And so you can see through the camera view of the iPad. Right. And then anyone who looks at the robot sees your face. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and so this allows for sort of mobile video interaction. It's like the video conferencing idea, except now you're not stuck in the meeting room. You can follow people around, have a conversation with them. And this actually might be more useful than you would first think, especially, say, in an environment where you want to tour facilities Sure. Or say go around a, like a lobby meeting people at a meet and greet or something like that. Um, I'm just trying to figure out what my own personal reaction would be <laughs> to encounter this. I, I mean, it sounds very, very Douglas Adams or, yeah. or Doctor yeah, Who. Yeah, you know, I, I'm a I'm a science fiction fan. I'm a robot fan. I'm a forward thinking kind of guy. But uh, I honestly don't know how I would react. I think I would. I think I would be intrigued and very much interested in the technology. I think you would put a kick me sign on the back of the robot, Jonathan. Uh, well, you know, well, unplug me sign. Is well, what it would be. I, I want to talk about some more robots. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> there's, um, there's so uh, Scott Hassan's suitable technologies. That's a, a group that has created a. It's called the Beam Remote Presence de- Device, and there was an interesting little Forbes article about it. Apparently, it weighs 95 pounds, uh, and it's a motorized stand. It's got a 17-inch flat screen that okay. displays your face, um, and it's about uh, 62 inches tall. Okay. Um, which is interesting because that's sort of like considered in the middle between standing and sitting. So right. it can kind of interact with either one. Oh, that's that's the uh, the I'm I'm continually forgetting the name of the Honda robot. The um, Asimo. Um, Asimo. Yeah, that's that's about the height of the. That's what about five feet. So five, yeah, five foot two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, there was a funny quote in the article I read. It said basically the, that some people have already bought these and they're using them in their offices for people who work remotely. And the main problem I heard reported is that it doesn't have arms. So when it needs to like come into your office to talk to you, you just ram it against the door a few times, <laughs> <laughs> and then you can come open the door. To and, be fair, and that's exactly in. how Connell knocks on doors too. <laughs> just headbutts him. Yeah, he just yeah. just keeps walking into a door until you open it. Um, there was Connell's our boss, y'all. Yeah, like, Connell's our big big boss, y'all. <laughs> He's never rammed into my door. Well, that's because we don't have doors in our cubicles. Oh, that's the right. only reason. So uh, there's another one, uh, iRobot and Cisco, two big companies. Actually, when you think about it, iRobot is big in consumer robotics, and yeah. Cisco is big in uh, telepresence. Yeah, inter- and, enterprise stuff. Yeah. yeah, so iRobot, that's the company that does Roomba, right? Right, yeah. Roomba. Yeah, so they came together to create the Ava 500. Um, oh, I've read about that one, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It offers bigger screens, so it's a 21.5-inch HD vi- video presence, and when you when you talk to people who have used these and tested them out, they they really do talk about how the video quality and the size of the screen is important for mm-hmm. simulating presence because the closer you can get to actual scale of, of a human, human head, yeah, right. um, with good video resolution, it even though you're talking to a robot, it does help that simulation kick in. It feels more like you're interacting straight on with a person. Um, one thing that makes Ava 500 interesting is that. It's easier to get around. Mm-hmm. So the uh, the beam that I talked about earlier, you got to steer it. 
So it's like driving a remote control car, right. basically. Right. You're steering it with your computer keys, and sure. you can, that's how you ram it into the door if you need to, or run it into your coworkers. The AVA 500 uses some of the same kind of technology as a Roomba. It so it's got maps sensors. its environment, mm. and it it has automatic navigation within its environment. So it has a Prime Sense 3D sensor, and when you put it in a new new environment, it learns where the rooms are, and you tell it where to go, and it drives itself there. Gotcha. So all you have to do is map it against where you know it has the geography of the space. You just have to tell it which regions uh, map to which offices. For example, saying this this space here that you have already mapped out that relates back to Connell's office. You'll know from the banging noise where he's yeah. trying to get out. <laughs> The, the the cool thing about these is that they're actually apparently coming way down in price. Like oh, the earlier cool. models were were super expensive if you wanted something that was at all decent. Um, the the Ava five hundred I read they're planning on selling it according to this article uh, at about two thousand to twenty five hundred dollars. That's not that expensive when you're talking about, you know, robots. Yeah. It really is not that expensive. Yeah, especially a robot that large that has that kind of learning capacity. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I've heard that some of these, I, I think specifically the AVA have been tested in medical environments. Oh, I'd have to check, but I think the AVA was actually derived from an earlier robot that has been used in medical environments. Cool. Uh, th- this, is, this is some stuff that I've, that I've heard has been a really effective use of this, this telepresence kind of thing is, is doctor patient interaction when, for example, a specialist cannot come fast enough to an emergency situation, being able to interact with a patient and furthermore interact with the rest of the hospital staff to help save lives. I see. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because you might have someone who is, uh, a specialist in a particular disease or condition or whatever who is doesn't work at that, the hospital that the patient has arrived at. Might and, work around the world. Yeah, yeah. it would be a, like a, an instantaneous teleconsultation, which is kind of cool. Yeah, uh, so I think I think really to wrap this all up, the office of the future, uh, first, there will be robots. Uh, second, uh, there might not be many other people. <laughs> um, I think, I think again, I think telepresence is going to be a growing trend. I'm curious to see if the open office plan stays around, if it ends up proving that, you know, we're adaptive creatures. And it may very well be, like I said, that after this initial reaction to shock the, of, right. Yeah, of, of dealing with this, that maybe we adapt our working styles so that the open office environment makes perfect sense. And maybe even, you know, five years down the line, we might say, gosh, can you, can you imagine if you were in a cubicle and you couldn't see anybody? That might be what we'd talk about then. Uh, it's, you know, just like you were saying, you know, in the eighties, the cubicle became like a symbol of being Oppression. under, yeah, under the yeah. corporate thumb. So it'll be, you know, change is scary. Change does not always uh, meet with enthusiasm, but often change can ultimately be a good thing. So while we have been snarky, especially since we're personally about to uh, experience this for ourselves, I I'd still like to maintain optimism and say, let's give it a really good try and, and see what works for us. Yeah, yeah. It may be it may be like I said that. We're probably, we might be overreacting and that the initial findings of the open office plan are just an implication of the fact that change is Adjustment is, tough. is yeah. happening. Yeah. That's it. So maybe, maybe five years from now we'll be like, well, this is, this is ideal for working. 
Plus, we'll be working from home a lot. All right. So uh, <laughs> that wraps up this discussion about the office of the future. Guys, if you want to join the conversation, go to fwthinking.com. That's the website where we have all the blog posts, the articles, the videos, podcasts. Uh, and drop us a line on social because we are on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Google+. Plus. You can find us with fwthinking. And we are happy to hear from you. We want you to be part of the conversation about the future. Let us know what you're excited about. Let us know what your office environment is like if you if you work in an office or if you've never worked in an office, if you've only worked from home. Let us know. We want to hear from you. Uh, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. Hey there, parents and teachers. Are you tired of feeling like every day is a battle of wills with your kids? Let me tell you about something that changed the game. Love and Logic. Love and Logic isn't just another parenting or teaching strategy. It's a mindset shift that empowers you to raise responsible, respectful kids while keeping your sanity intact. With Love and Logic, you'll learn practical techniques to set limits with empathy, give your kids the tools they need to make smart choices, and build relationships based on mutual respect and understanding. Love and Logic stands behind their methods with a one-year money-back guarantee. Try it out risk-free. If it doesn't change your life, we'll buy it back. Plus, you can get 10% off with code IHEART10. So if you're ready to say goodbye to power struggles and hello to peaceful, loving relationships with your kids, it's time to give love and logic a try. 
Visit their website or call today. Your sanity will thank you. Love and Logic, because parenting and teaching should be a joy, not a chore. Visit loveandlogic.com.